Welcome back to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Juliana. And I'm Sophia. And we are thrilled to be joining you today for another episode on the topic of hope. Yes, we have been looking forward to this one so much. You and I were just saying before we turned on the microphones here that if we had one topic for literally the rest of our podcast that we would choose, it'd be this one. I mean, both because there is just so much to be said about what hope is, what hope isn't, Mm -hmm. and how to grow in hope. But also because, I don't know about you, but my experience this week has been so enriched by the prayer and the reflection that I've been engaging in on this topic. So maybe we should (laughs) do Hope 2.0 sometime in the future. No, I completely agree. It's funny thinking about in preparation for this topic. I look back on the past, I don't know, year, two years of my life, and I feel like Growing in the virtue of hope has been one area that the Holy Spirit has really been working Mm -hmm. in my life and in my heart. And what's surprising to me is that's not really where my focus was in terms of thinking about my spiritual life and thinking about um, my personal growth. And yet the Holy Spirit has done this work in my life and it makes me thirst for even more. You know, I have a glimpse of the promise of hope and how freeing it is to live in hope. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll get into more later on in the episode, some of the experiences that have been formative for you in that way. But that's a great illustration of the fact that hope is a theological virtue. It's infused. It's given to us. We cannot Mm -hmm. create for ourselves hope. Exactly. Um, It's something that has to be given to us. It's a grace given by God. And so... I had a really (laughs) intense sort of school of hope this week because, as you know, Julie, I flew back to the UK on Sunday, and I'm somebody who really struggles with jet lag. Like, it takes me almost a full week, and I wake up usually with physical nausea, but also, like, nihilism. Like, I wake (laughs) up, and I'm, like, in total darkness, (laughs) And that combined with like the semester started up, I was lonely, I missed you Mm -hmm. and the baby and Frank and I woke up feeling like death, you know, and it was very clear to me each morning that I could not hope in my own energy or my own ability to create something beautiful for me that day. I couldn't hope in my circumstances because only God knew if the nausea was going to leave before the end of the day. And yet, because I live in a place with a tabernacle, it was also simple for me to just go down and place all of this mess before the tabernacle. And my prayer for this week was, by your word, give me life. Like, give me life. Mm-hmm. And this week has, in fact, as I was telling you just before we started recording, been so beautiful and full of the most precious little gifts and rediscoveries of friendships and joy and work and the beauty of creation here in Cambridge. And I mean, obviously, Mm -hmm. some of that is like the progression of my circadian rhythm realigning me with reality. And like, so the (laughs) nausea goes away and I'm a little bit happier as the day goes on. But really what happened is that I was given an encounter with Christ during my day that renewed in me the awareness that actually what I long for Mm -hmm. is his embrace forever. And that embrace is something that is given to me here and now as well. I mean, talk about a school of hope. That's such a beautiful place to start. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like I have a million responses to this experience you were sharing. But (laughs) one place that might be good to start is to zero in on what is hope and what do we hope 
in because yeah, the answer to this question is implicit in the experience that you were sharing and resonates in my own experiences of hope too because when we hope, we hope in Christ. We hope in the promise of eternal happiness with him in heaven. That's our horizon. That's the source of our hope and that's the goal of our hope. Mm-hmm. And yet that can already begin to be fulfilled now. And so when we hope, we hope in those things, but that doesn't mean we don't hope in the things of this world, the beautiful things of this world. We do, but we know that they are not, you know, they're, they're reflections, they're signs, they are food for the journey in our path towards Christ. And so I think it's helpful to start here because um, we can dispel either the notion that we hope in this world and in the things of this world. Of course, that's not true. But also on the other extreme, our lives, the circumstances and the concrete realities of our lives, they have a lot to do with what we hope in. And it's not an abdication of our circumstances either. Yeah, exactly. You've put your finger on exactly what I would say the definition of hope is, which is a certainty of the future, but a certainty that's born of a presence that you're experiencing mm-hmm. today, that you're already experiencing here and now. Mm-hmm. And for me, this gets to the distinction of what Catholic Christian hope is. This isn't even just for me, Christian, but Catholic Christian hope, because it's not a subjective reaching out towards things in the future that you, in your own heart, can have faith in and thereby travel towards. But the fact that that present spills into the mm-hmm. future, this is the sacramental worldview, yes. that objectively there's already something concrete that for us constitutes proof of the things that we don't see yet. Um, so it's not sort of this vague optimism about the future. It's an experience that we have in the flesh now. And I've been pondering a lot the story of Lazarus in the Mm. Gospel of John and what Lazarus's life would have looked like after Jesus raised him from the dead. Like that would have been a man with hope because he was restored not to a glorified body or to eternal life, but to ordinary life on earth. Like he had to go to work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He had to go to the store. Like he had to try to love his sisters who were sometimes histrionic. Like this was his life again, right? But having been raised from the dead, he must have been so certain of the presence of Christ and Christ's power to actually achieve this resurrection and life that he promises mm-hmm, him mm-hmm. that he must never have been the same. Yeah. Wow. That's how we all should be living through our death and resurrection with Christ in our baptism. Yeah. Right? The connection is so present to me because, as you know, and it was through conversation with you that Frank and I decided to pick when we were planning Elena, our daughter's baptism, we picked the story of Lazarus as the reading for that sacrament. And so immediately my mind goes to, we have all had the experience of Lazarus already. Yeah. The transformation that he experienced in living life of hope, that is true for us and we should be living that way too. You know, what a challenge. Yeah, exactly. And so as you mentioned earlier on in the episode, this is something that occurs as we grow in the life of God. And Mm -hmm. while that's achieved and it's infused in our souls at baptism, this is something that we need to await and long for and- allow God to infuse in us through the path of the Christian life. Um, what for you are, like, what teaches you hope in your day-to-day? What in this past year in particular, which has been so intense with the transition to motherhood and mm-hmm. graduation, what have been the schools of hope for you that have given you this growth that you were talking about? 
Yeah, so I have a couple of responses to that. I think the first is memory. Mm. Memory of what God has done in my life in the past and what God has done in the history of the church and the history of the whole world. Yeah. Um, because so often when I'm confronted with a situation in which I'm tempted to give up hope across a difficulty, a frustration, it's very easy for me to slip into living just that moment. Mm. If I don't limit my gaze to that present moment, I can remember all of the times that God has been faithful to me in the past, that he has shown me that I can hope in him. This expands through all of salvation history, right? We have, I can go back to the Psalms. I can go back to the words of scripture. I can go back to God's promise to Abraham, the life of Christ. And it's all evidence of his faithfulness, evidence that my hope is the most rational response to the existence of God and his relationship with me. And I can live again for that. Like the moment, the suffering that I'm in does not define me and does not define my relationship with God. But rather, when I take the step back, when I look at reality as a whole, that is the school of hope for me. Yes, very well put. I'm reminded of Psalm 136, which... Sophia, I was going to raise this same psalm for this episode. (laughs) I really was. We did not coordinate. Honestly, whenever we pray it in the office, I'm always kind of like, oh no, this one again. Because it's like, it's a million and one statements about what God has done in the history of Israel, followed by, for his love endures forever. And I often look at it like, here we go again. Like, But by the end of it, I find myself so full of the awareness, exactly as you were saying, of the ceaseless outpouring of his love in the events of history and the church in my own life that I truly can say for his love endures forever, echoing the psalmist like that. And it reminds me too of um, the alarm that I get up to every morning. I don't know if you know this actually. No, I do um, not. <laughs> you who make fun of me for how I jump out of bed. But the alarm that that gets me up for years now has been Adele's song, Why Do You Love Me? Because For me, the lyrics just immediately throw me back to shock at the love of God that has burst on the scene on my life, a a love that I never could have expected that has conquered me in a way so far beyond what I would have imagined as a child. And so hearing her repeat over and over again, you know, why do you love me? Why do you love me? Why do you love me? Enables me to get out of bed with memory, as you were talking about, and therefore hope that conquers my instinctive nihilism. Mm -hmm. I've got another sort of school of hope that has been important for me in this last year, and that's tithing. I think that giving money to the church and to the poor regularly, a contribution that I have made a commitment to, Mm -hmm. has been an opportunity each and every week when it comes up to recognize as if for the first time that my money is not something that I have created and achieved and gained for myself and that I can cling on to and thereby attain infallible security in this world. But it's actually something that has been poured out into my lap by a generous God. And therefore, it actually belongs to him. And to act in accord Mm -hmm. with that reality is reasonable. To give everything back to him and to the littlest of his brothers and sisters, like that is storing up treasure for myself in heaven and cultivating faith in the one who will provide for me now, as Jesus tells us. And as someone who historically has been very prone to clinging to money and kind of a 
honestly, it's greed, but it's a greed born of anxiety. This for me has been an important invitation each week to take one more step towards poverty of heart, Mm -hmm. towards the poverty of heart that recognizes that my hope is not in me. My hope is not in what I can produce, nor even what I can foresee. My hope is in something unexpected and abundantly generous beyond my imagination. Yeah, that's really beautiful and helpful for me because I've had the same difficulties in relationship to money in the past. And I think that you could also make it into a broader point about your relationship with different aspects of your Mm -hmm. life. For example, your time. You can treat your time the same way and giving it over to God. I mean, there are a lot of times where I am planning to pray, for example, and then something comes up and I'm tempted to think I don't have time. I have to do this. I have to do the other thing. And I remember that prayer is, is the best way to address what comes up. And I trust and I hope in God that if I give the first fruits of my day to him, he will help me with everything else that comes up. Yes. And you could do the same thing with your work and with your friendships. And, you know, I really love this example of tithing in your relationship with money, but, you know, we can also expand it and and apply it to other things as well. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of what Adrienne von Speyer says about when we offer things to God, she calls it the divine oversight because we offer them imperfectly. But God in his mercy and in his generosity chooses to overlook Mm -hmm. the imperfection of our offering and to take us seriously, to take us at our word. And what a reason Mm -hmm. for hope that is, that I don't have purity of heart yet when it comes to money or as you were saying, when it comes to work or my time, but I can still offer these things to God and he in turn will take them from me and make it bear fruit as if I had offered them perfectly. Mm -hmm. It's just beautiful. And how merciful. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it reminds me also of some of the stories of miracles in in the Gospels. For example, the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes, of course. We give God these very minimal gifts and he multiplies them and the turning of water into wine at the wedding of Cana, same thing. Yeah. He takes our poverty and makes it beautiful through his glory. Yeah, what a reason for hope. I was going to say another important school of hope for me in the last months has been communion and community. Mm. In some ways, this might be similar to my point about memory, but I think that if we take seriously what it means to belong to the body of Christ and to belong to the church, then every other member of the body of Christ, we belong to each other. We are all one. And so what happens in the life of another, it is it is for me too. Mm-hmm. And God's working his faithfulness and his mystery and his miracles in the life of another, he's doing that for me. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if it's our American culture or just modern culture generally, but it's so easy to view everything in such an individualistic way. It's very easy to have the response when you see those kinds of beautiful, glorious things happening in the life of another to say, why them? Why not me? Maybe God doesn't love me as much. Maybe he's not faithful to me. Maybe. and Or just like to slip into plain old envy. But in fact, if we take seriously what it means to belong to the body of Christ, then in working that miracle in your friend's life, God is working a miracle in your life. And he is showing me that he is faithful. I had such a powerful experience of this in the last week because 
one of my closest friends got engaged. Yes. Shout out, Molly. Congratulations. Um, but she, you know, it had been a very long path towards her vocation, full of longing and questions. And I had accompanied her through a lot of that. And to see God work this miracle in in her life of finding this amazing man who she's totally in love with and who's totally in love with her to watch them joyfully anticipate becoming one Mm -hmm. in the sacrament of marriage. I, I was so moved. I felt God's presence speaking to me so clearly in that moment. Yeah. And in the days that have passed since then, it really was something that was happening in my life. And it absolutely transformed my prayer of those days and the way I was living in those days because it was such a profound cause for hope for me. And, you know, I think what if I always lived that way with this just heightened sense of awareness of how God was working in the lives around me and this interest in that. I mean, Mm -hmm. then there would be so many signs for hope. How could you not hope if you lived that way? Yes. Amen. I love reflecting on the fact that my experience, what constitutes my experience, not just what happens in the subjective place of my own mind, but what happens in the minds and hearts and Mm -hmm. lives of every single person around me. Even people that I don't know, just members of the church. And this, I'm so glad you brought this point up because I think it dispels a common misconception about hope, about Christian hope in particular, which is that it's individualistic, mm-hmm. which is that it's just concerned with some, with you and your own private salvation sometime in the future. And with this hope in mind, you don't care about whoever it is, the poor person on the street, your mother who's ill, exactly, yeah. because you're saved. And so what do you care about that? I mean, that couldn't be more wrong, though, because as you were saying, faith does not just exist on a private level, just a level concerned Mm -hmm. with you, but with the whole world. The salvation that you long for is a social reality, which means that your salvation comes through communion. And the salvation that you long for is not just your own, but the salvation of the whole world. Yeah, so here I always think of, so the latest... um, my latest crush is <laughs> Blessed Miguel Pro. I actually don't know who that is. <laughs> oh my gosh, an amazing Mexican martyr from the Cristero War um, who's not canonized yet, so pray for his intercession. But his story is incredible because he's one of those people like the English martyrs during the Elizabethan persecution here in the UK in the 16th century. He was went to seminary abroad and was ordained, I think, in Belgium during the persecution of Mexican Catholics back home. And so his ministry, his formation in his ministry began someplace where his life was not in danger and he could give himself to a full life of nourishing the Lord's flock. And yet he went back to Mexico mm. and undertook a work of evangelization and bringing the sacraments to Catholics who were in hiding and persecuted and being killed um, by doing things, but with such joy, with such daring audacity, disguising himself as a beggar or as one time even entering a police station to ask for directions to throw them (laughs) off his trail. Like, he was so full of, he loved to sing and to play the guitar. And this was a man who was so confident in the eternal destiny that he was promised in the embrace of God, Mm -hmm. that he was able to say here and now, 
he even wrote once, like, I'm actually afraid that they won't catch me. Like, I'm, I'm afraid that they won't take my life from me because I long so deeply to be with Jesus. He's someone who his hope in eternal life conformed him to the being of Christ on earth, to being one who is for others, who gives his life, his body for others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Miguel Pro for me is, is an image of what true hope is and what I desire to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the saints in general are such a source of hope for us. And, you know, that's one of the reasons that the church lifts these human men and women up as models for us in the first place to give us hope because they're saints who've been through name any situation that scares you yeah. or <laughs> that any any suffering there has been a saint who has lived a radical life of holiness in that place and in that situation. Mm -hmm. And I know for me that I can name any number of times where I've been daunted by what God is calling me to do and I have looked to the saints and because I've seen the saints, I can say it is possible. Yeah, And not only that, but it can be a source of beauty and joy in my own life and in the world to allow God to transform me through this suffering. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think our relationship with the saints is so critical to living a life of hope. Yeah, and I think they also show exactly in this dynamic that you're describing of seeing yourself as not alone in the particular weakness or trial that you're facing. This is how Christian hope transforms our life because the saints show you, the church shows you, the the life, the companionship of believers on earth shows you that no matter how much you sin or no matter how weak you are, you can't take Mm -hmm. away the presence of Christ and you can't take away his grace. As you were saying about baptism and memory, like I cannot erase the mark of God on my soul. And no matter how forgetful I might be on a given day, I can't actually eradicate Mm -hmm. the memory of having encountered and fallen in love with God. This, I think, is how hope makes us tireless on earth. Because if that's true, I can work for, you know, the conversion of my own heart. I can work for the conversion of society Mm -hmm. without being tired by my own frailty or by the evil I experience in the world, without giving into despair, So I guess for me, that's like one index or one marker for me of whether or not I'm living with hope is if I do get disheartened and ultimately despairing about my weakness and sin. Because if I am, I'm not looking at God. Yeah. I'm looking at myself. Right. That's interesting to think about like markers of living a life of hope. Mm. And how does hope transform you and how does hope Mm -hmm. transform your life? I think absolutely how you look at yourself and your weaknesses is an important part of that. Mm -hmm. I think that for me, growing in hope has made, made it easier to rejoice in the small things of my life Yeah, because I'm more certain that they are meaningful and it has made me more childlike. Mm-hmm. I think back to last year when you told me that you wanted to come live with us. And I 
overjoyed. I thought it was amazing. I also thought there's no way this is going to work. Logistically, <laughs> I just didn't think that it was going to happen. And so I didn't want to, you know, get my hopes up. I didn't want to anticipate it and think about how amazing it would be and to just like really look forward to it. And, you know, what a limited way to live. I, I think God he's a loving father and he wants to lavish his gifts on his children. And yeah. it doesn't always take the form of material things that make us really happy. Of course not. And I don't I don't want to be misunderstood like that I'm saying that. But sometimes it takes that form. Sometimes it takes the form mm-hmm. of you came to live with me and we also got to welcome a child into the world and we live in this beautiful place and it was a season of life of lavish gifts. And I want to live with a certainty that God wants to bestow those gifts on me. Yeah. And if he doesn't, it's for my own good. Like that too is a source of hope. And I want to just be childlike in going to God and asking him for the things that I think I desire, the things that I think would would make me happy and lead me closer to him, just trusting fully that he will realize those desires for me. And if it's in the form of my requests, great. Like I'm going to rejoice in that. I'm not going to you know, worry that he's going to take them away or worry that he's not going to fulfill my requests. And then if he says no too, I also want to hope and just have that certainty that it is working for my own good and for the good of the world. Yeah. That's a touching example that very much resonates with my own experience of last year. I think back to so many evenings that we just spent sitting around the fire, looking at Elena and just delighting in each other's companionship. Mm -hmm. And I was taken aback by our freedom to do that without this sense of foreboding joy that this is coming to an end and we won't have this forever. And I think there's a season in life when both you and I would have reacted that way. And we wouldn't have been able to receive now the gift that God was giving us. Mm -hmm. But as you said, like, God leads us through our desires. And so poverty of heart and simplicity of turning to him and saying, Lord, okay, like, this is my desire. Mm-hmm. Please give me the pleasure that I, the the good, the the beautiful that I ask for here. I mean, that's the reasonable position. And so in terms of markers of when we're living with hope, I think another big one for me is how am I living my unfulfilled desires? Yeah. Whether it's an unfulfilled desire for a home or for a particular accomplishment or a particular kind of relationship. I mean, you name it. I feel like some days I... You know, like the philosophers who used to say that we're just a bundle of perceptions. Like some days I'm like, Lord, I am a bundle of unfulfilled desires. Like I don't oh, know what's too. keeping all of this shit together. <laughs> but um, but it's helpful for me to look at, okay, well, how am I living with those? Yeah. Because if I am overwhelmed by them and almost like desperate to have the particular form of how I think they're going to be answered – It paralyzes me and it discourages me. But if instead I'm looking at Christ, who who I know is giving me these desires and constitutes their ultimate fulfillment, that actually opens me up to today to see how he is already answering them. Mm -hmm. For example, in my desire for a home, and I so hunger for a home, a place where I can plant roots and decorate my walls by actually putting nails in them. Like I'm tired of living in dorm rooms and... Mm. um, And I can let this overwhelm me, but 
the times when I am given the grace to live with hope, I see instead that I recognize in communities around me Mm -hmm. that have adopted me as their own daughter or sister that I do have a home. And yeah, it's not the home that actually is going to fulfill this desire, but it's how the Lord is leading me to that place. And Mm -hmm. my eyes are closed to that if instead I'm attached to this image I have in mind of what it is to have a home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that really resonates with my experience too. And I think in preparation for this episode, I've been reflecting a lot on the relationship between faith and hope. And, Mm. you know, St. Paul describes faith as the substance of things hoped for. Yeah. You know, I think that the greater our faith, the greater our hope. Because as we grow in faith, we grow in the knowledge of who God is Mm -hmm. and what he has promised us. And as we know that more and more, how can you not hope in that? Because this is what we've been talking about. We grew in our faith of God as a loving father. Yeah. And then that naturally leads to hope that his promises are true. One thing that has been really helpful for me in living with unfulfilled desires and in increasing my faith in Christ so that I can increase my hope has been praying with the promises that he has already made me. Mm. Because if I take those promises seriously, then I know that he's going to also answer them, right? And St. Padre Pio has this great novena that he used to pray every single day. It's novena to the sacred heart. Yes. And it just starts with, Lord, you have said, and then something that Jesus has said to us. Um, so for example, Lord, you have said, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be open to you. Behold, I knock, I seek, and I ask for the grace of and then you name your desire, right? So you're amazing. This has been so transformative for me in my prayer life and in my relationship with Christ because I go back to what he has promised me and I express faith in that. And the natural response is hope. Yeah. To go back to our example of Lazarus, that's exactly what Martha does when Jesus comes exactly. to the yes, tomb. Yes. Yeah. I love that. And Padre Pio, I mean, talk about someone who lived with hope and an icon of how hope is not ignorance of sin and evil and suffering. I mean, that man waged spiritual warfare and suffered in body and mind. Um, Well, not to mention was a great confessor. So he was exposed to the sins of all of us. What a heavy weight to bear. And so that's helpful for me, too, because I... I sometimes personally fall into the misconception that hope is always attended by positive feelings. I'm like, (laughs) I'm just happy all the time. And like, that is, but no, hope is not optimism and it's not ignorance of suffering. Um, In fact, hope is strengthened by suffering with the awareness that Christ is with you in that suffering. I mean, this is an essential distinction between Christian hope and the hope that the world can offer you because whether it's like faith in scientific progress or hope in political revolution Mm -hmm. and that will finally get a structure so that men will no longer have to be good, as T.S. Eliot says, like those kinds of, I'm not even going to call it hope, but optimism in progress cannot cope with human evil and suffering. Right, right. Well, I personally can be tempted to reduce hope in that way, but it only makes me cynical. Like it does not even lead to good feelings for me because it is so evidently 
not enough for me and it never lasts. The hope of this world never lasts. If I lived for that, when I live for that, then I ultimately end up a cynic, a pessimist, because why would I get my hopes up? Nothing ever goes well. There's always suffering in this world. Yes, we live in a broken world. The hope of this world is not even a shadow of Christian hope, but rather it can lead you in the very opposite direction. Yeah, for me, it does lead to cynicism, but often first to activism, this kind of like, okay, well then by the work of my own hands, I can build the kingdom of heaven on earth. Like I can. Yes. And then when that fails or I see other people fail in that way, then it makes me cynical. It reminds me of what Theodore Adorno says, I think, that progress, if we see it rightly, progress is the passage from the sling to the atomic bomb. And so obviously, while I don't want to deny the good, I mean, I'm a scientist for crying out loud. (laughs) I very much believe in the importance of accumulating scientific knowledge about the world and using that Mm -hmm. towards the common good, a beautiful and important and very dignified vocation um, that God has given us. But the kingdom of God is not something we build on this earth. And when we lose sight of that, we do the greatest violence to one another and to creation. Mm-hmm. So I guess I would be curious to know who you would say are icons of hope in your life. And when you're struggling, when you're tempted to fall into these distortions of hope, who do you look to? Yeah. We've touched on the saints already and yeah. one another. And you definitely have been an important icon of hope for me, especially during the months that we live together. But in light of an experience I had this week, something that comes to mind is uh, children and people with childlike hearts. So I volunteer at a charity with folks with intellectual disabilities, and there are a few of them in particular that are so childlike that they have this gaze, this gaze on reality that is one of wonder and not ignorance, but simplicity of looking at those upon whom they depend with just total trust mm-hmm. and reliance. And they're, I mean, they're the least self-absorbed people I've ever met. They're truly hopeful in that they they look at life aware that there already is a presence now. Mm-hmm. And this is how I want to look at my life, you know, with that kind of certainty that Christ has risen and Christ dwells among us. And my joy in this world is to look at him. That's really beautiful. Do you have any icons to share? I don't know if this is cheating by like going straight to the top, but I was praying the rosary this last week and meditating on the mystery of the assumption Mm. and just thinking about how she can be my hope. Yeah. In, In particular with the assumption because you know, with the difficulties of pregnancy and then recovering from childbirth. And and there's just so many ways in which my body has changed and so many difficulties I've had with my body, um, either in relationship to it or just physical suffering. Um, So many reminders of the fact that I'm awaiting the resurrection of the body as well. And that I long for that. And to reflect on that mystery and to realize that This longing of mine for Mary has already been fulfilled and that she has gone before us in this way. For me, it gave me great hope and just awareness that these difficulties of mine, um, these physical difficulties of mine are temporary and Mm. they're meaningful, they're temporary and that, you know, one day everything will be glorified, even my physical wounds. 
Thank you for sharing that. That's beautiful. And it very much reminds me of, I mean, I think the shadow of the assumption. Can you say that? Shadow of the assumption? <laughs> it's it stretched over our months together because that was the very first day that I spent yes, with you that's right. and, and Frank in California. And, August 15th. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, why was the Lord able to assume her into heaven? But because of her faith, the faith that enabled yes. her to, to say her fiat and her Magnificat too. Like I've been reflecting this week that she really did believe what the angel told her, both that God would be conceived in her womb, but that nothing is impossible for God. And so even though this savior was in embryo form, he hadn't even implanted in her uterine lining. And she already knew what she would proclaim in her Magnificat, that he has shown the strength of his arm. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Like, she would be out of her mind to say that while the Savior is still in her womb if she didn't have Mm -hmm. certainty in what he would accomplish in and through her, yes. And so, yeah, I mean, talk about icons of hope. I'm glad you went straight to the top. (laughs) Well, that's why I call her the mother of hope, right? Our life, our sweetness, and our hope. In light of that, do you have a Marian weekly challenge to offer us? Yes. I wanted to recommend praying the rosary reflecting on Mary's hope that sustained her through all the mysteries of the life of Christ and the hope that she brought the world through her yes, through her fiat, and asking her to do the same in your life and whatever you're facing, ask Mary to bring the hope of Christ to you. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I would say. What about our media recommendation? So our immediate recommendation for everyone in CL, they're probably going to roll their eyes. But <laughs> <laughs> it's a poem by Charles Piggy called The Portal of the Mystery of Hope. I will put an excerpt, a link to an excerpt of it that's online in the show notes, but I really encourage you to get a copy if you can. Um, there's some used ones on Amazon and such, at least here in the UK. But it's a beautiful treatise about this virtue, this most neglected virtue in his view, and all about how hope is a little girl. Hope is a little girl. To understand more about what that means, please read it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's a really, yeah, it's a great recommendation. And then you can write to us and, and tell us about your own experiences of hope, because as we said before, your experience is our experience, our experience is your experience. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for joining us today. Please do share this podcast with a friend if you're enjoying it. And as ever, you can find us on our website where you can submit questions or you can contribute to the work of producing this podcast. And you can also find archives of all of our media recommendations and weekly challenges. Yeah, it's a joy to be back. Um, We ask that you continue praying for us and we will continue praying for you. Amen. God bless you all. 